I'm reading from the New King James Version. Luke 9, 57 through 10, 2. Luke 9, 57 through 10, 2. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We hear our Lord's prayer. I pray, Father, that as Colin preaches today, you would impress upon our hearts just the, how dear is Christ. How worthy is his name to be proclaimed, Father, and how we should deal with the impediments in our lives to proclaiming that and to following him. Bless the words he utters to our hearing and to our hearts. And Father, if there's anything that is not true, just put it far from our memory, Lord, and we pray that you'd give Colin just what you want him to say. Thank you for his time here with us. May we serve you well together. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is coming again. Time to get ready. Hmm. Our names are Colin and Rebecca McDougall. We're here with our three children today, and my son-in-law, Stephen Burai, and our granddaughter. We're here also with our ministry partners, Al and Sylvia Negron, who were ministry partners for us during the nine years we served at Church of the Open Door. And most of our time has been in Africa. We came to the field in uh, 1986, worked in Kenya and Tanzania, what's in teal or uh, aquamarine on this map, Kenya and Tanzania, East Africa. Rebecca and I lived in Kenya, that's where we raised our children for 16 years, working with unreached people groups, the Samburu and the Dasanach people. Then uh, Church of the Open Door called us to serve with them for nine years, and then we returned back to Africa. We were with the Matombi in southern Tanzania. That's the basic outline of the ministry that God gave to us. And in the last six years, uh, I've been the field leader for AIM, 150 missionaries in Kenya and Tanzania. One of the most exciting things that the Lord has allowed us to do during the last six years is to establish a Bible training center in Marsabit. Marsabit is the largest county in Kenya. It's way in the north of Kenya. There are six unreached people groups in Marsabit County. Two of those were people groups that Rebecca and I and our family lived and ministered among. 
But when we left, though there was a reproducing indigenous Christ-centered church among the Samburu and the, and the Dasanach, there was not a way for us to rapidly train men and women who would be ministers of Christ Jesus and leaders of the churches. Now that place exists. In 2019, the first class, this class that's standing in front of the camera, uh, this first class uh, started their studies. By now we've had three classes go through it. The school started with nothing, a library with no books in it. Rebecca's father donated his library after he retired, and uh, 275 volumes were the first, the beginnings of this library. We send them in bundles of 90 books, and the first bundle is right there on the wall in the Marsabit Northern Bible Training Center library. The library is expanding now. When Rebecca and I left, we put all of our books there too. And here's your opportunity. If you have Bible study material, Bible study books, theology books, books that would be accessible to somebody who's speaking English as their second language, there is a box out in front of the library here at CBC. You can contribute and participate and be part in this great work. I'm thrilled to be part of it. I just want to extend that to you. But today, we particularly want to talk about that truth. Jesus is coming. We better get ready. It's time to get ready. If there was any doubt about that, and if there's anyone who has any doubt about that, I'd like to just give you a, a homework assignment. You could read about this in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus' last sermon on earth. You could read about this in Revelation chapters 1 through 6. Now, the long title of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to share with his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. I think shortly is even shorter now. If you wonder whether that's true, consider this. If we were studying Revelation or Matthew 24 and 25 today, we might notice conflict between nations. Conflict within nations and among races within nations. A rising homicide rate. Inflation. Famine. Pandemic illness, the persecution of Christians, climate change, earthquake, a spirit also of deception that will shake even Christians. And then you could read the Dallas Morning News and just find out whether that's happening today. So that would be my homework assignment. If you doubt my first premise, Jesus is coming, get ready. But we're not going to go back and read those passages today. Ken Hillard remembered correctly that last time we were together, that's what we did. But today, I want to move on to Luke's gospel, and I want to notice the three calls of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and then the fourth, the last, the final call. The first call is to follow him, the second is to go where he sends, the third is to pray to send more, and the last Call that upward call. Father, make it so. We we'll pray that the Lord Jesus would be speaking to us, that we would be able to hear this call very clearly. 
I believe that every man and woman is here either hearing the gospel and needing to respond to it or hearing one of these calls and needing to respond to that. I pray that it would not be my voice, as my brother prayed earlier, it would not be my voice, it would be Jesus' voice giving this call, extending this call in the auditorium today and that each Christian would hear it and be able to respond appropriately and in obedience for the glory of Christ Jesus in the church. Amen. The first call to follow him, the second to go where he sends, the third to pray to send more, and then the final call. And now I'm going to blank this screen out, so I hope you have that all memorized. <laughs> Before we can hear and respond to any call of Christ Jesus, first of all, we have to recognize that we are in a, a, a deep world of hurt and sinking. Peter, the apostle Peter, recognized that he was a drowning, and he said two simple words, Lord, save me. Save me. That's the first that is the first response to Christ Jesus, to recognize I need a Savior and to reach out to Him. Nothing else that we talk about today is possible for the person who has not yet recognized I am sinking in sin, I need a Savior. But if you hear Christ's calling today, if you hear His offer of salvation today, if you see He's reaching out, He would pull you out of that pit of sin. If you recognize that today, you can respond to Him, respond in faith. And I will explain to you later exactly how to go about doing this. Christ Jesus is ready. He wants to save you today. Don't let this wait until tomorrow. Do it today. If you're in Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus is also calling to you today. He's got a message for you. And I would like for us to just go back and hear how he presented it to his original hearers. We'll put ourselves in their place and hear Christ calling us today. Jesus' primary means of teaching was living an example. Oh yes, he taught. He taught by his personal example. There was no hypocrisy, uh, no double speaking with him. He lived it out and he also was teaching it. We'll recognize that Jesus led by example in chapter 3 of Luke when he was baptized. He led by example when he went into the wilderness and was tempted and overcame temptation by the word of God. He was living by example when we came back to his own people and started at his home place in his preaching. But then as we come to Luke chapter 5, I hope you're just flipping through your Bible with me as we make this very rapid uh, preview. He came to Luke chapter 5, he began to call disciples. And he went to their places of work. Notice that. He called the disciples from their places of work. The fishermen, he went and met them where they were bringing in the catch. The tax collector, he went to his office. He went right into the office. He called him and said, follow me. He met them in their places of work and he radically disrupted their lives. The first call, follow me, is a call to discipleship and it's extremely disruptive. Many of us, respond to that call of discipleship and don't notice how disruptive it is. Our parents are Christians. Our extended families are believers. We don't notice the disruption, but for most Christians, in most of the world, for most of its history, have had to do just what Jesus said in Luke 14. 
To be my disciple, you're going to have to hate your mother and father. You're going to have to hate your brother and sister. You're going to have to hate your own children for my sake. You're going to have to hate your life. Take up your cross and follow me. It is a radical step of obedience that will look like hatred to the rest of the world. When they see what you do as a Christian, they will say, well, he doesn't really care about his family, does he? But you and I both know that is not true. We care very deeply for our families. But in everything, Jesus is more. He's more to us. And following him comes first. Every decision of life, following him comes first. That's what it means to be disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's the first call. When he called them, we don't see him saying, now it's time for you to go to seminary. He said, come and be with me. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus called his disciples, it says, so that they might be with him and learn from him. It's about being together with Christ Jesus because his favorite method of teaching is by example. We'll see that he um, continued healing, casting out demons, and in chapter 6 and verse 12, he gathered his disciples to him. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to him, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. And then the scriptures list uh, Simon Peter all the way down to Judas Iscariot, the names of the twelve apostles. Notice here that this is a subset. He had gathered all of his disciples. They prayed all night. Then he chose 12, and he called them apostles. Apostles, in other words, representatives. The disciples are the ones who are learners. The apostles are the ones who are representative, who are being sent. And he didn't make any further distinction, really. He just continued to do what he had been doing. The, the apostles were not immediately sent out. They had another year of walking with Jesus, being with Jesus, learning by seeing what he did. He watched, they watched him heal the multitude. They heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount. They were there for that. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him raise the dead. They saw Jesus forgive sins. They saw Jesus cast out demons. They heard Jesus preach the parables of the kingdom. All of these things happened before the disciples were actually sent. The apostles were sent out. And as we come to the end of Luke chapter 8 and we begin in chapter 9, Jesus again he raises another from the dead. And then he calls, chapter 9, verse 1, he calls his 12 disciples together and he gave them power. He gathered them together and he gave them power. So I want you to notice that he spent a year, first of all, just showing them this is how it's done. And then before he sent them out, he gave them power. He gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
I just want you to notice that these are the very things that Jesus has been doing all along. They've had a year of watching him do it. And now he says, you go do it. But before he says, you go do it, he gives them power and authority over all of the demons and this authority to heal sicknesses and diseases. And that's when he sent them out. He sent them out. Now this is their first short-term missionary assignment. I hope you don't mind me translating this and contextualizing it for uh, my people who happen to be missionaries. Uh, missionaries need to recognize that the things that we do, we try to do following a pattern, the pattern that was given to us by Christ Jesus. He sent them out on a short-term mission assignment before he sent them out for their full term of ministry. And besides all the other things that he gave them, he also added this one condition, very important for this particular short-term mission. And that is, take nothing with you. If you happen to have two pairs of shoes, leave one behind. We're only going with what you absolutely need in order to be decent when you're walking about. Because during this short-term mission trip, not only will they be learning how to do ministry, but they'll also be learning how to receive the support that comes directly to them from God. They have to learn to walk by faith when it comes to their physical needs. This is an important part of their missionary training. And so he sent them out on their first trip. We try to follow Christ Jesus in doing this. When they come back, we give them a debriefing. The Bible doesn't call it debriefing, but that's exactly what happens in chapter 9, verse 10. We see the apostles, the missionaries, the representatives, when they returned, told him all that they had done. This is the first part of a missionary debriefing. First, we get the testimonies. You went out with our prayers. You went out with our encouragement. Now you're coming back. Tell us, what did God do through you? We expect to hear powerful stories of what God did. That's what Jesus did. He gave them a chance to share their testimony. And then he said, come away to a deserted place. They went to a place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. But the multitudes knew about it and they came. This now is the second part of a good missionary debrief. It's a review of the principles that they've learned. Notice what Jesus did. He gathered a multitude. Then he taught them. He taught them the same doctrines that he'd been teaching for the last year. The disciples heard it. They learned it. They went out and preached it. They came back and they heard it again. Then he repeated again the healing of the multitudes. He modeled it. He sent them to do it. They came back. He showed them again. It's just a review. This is what we do in missionary debriefing. And then, the most important, the specific task of this short-term mission trip was to go with nothing, to preach with nothing but what you went out with, which was nothing. And now he's going to reinforce that lesson. There are 5,000 people now, and the day is wearing away. It's becoming evening time. And we're in verse 12, chapter 9, verse 12, and notice how well the missionaries have learned their first lesson. The day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the multitude away. 
How close is that to the Jesus style of ministry? <laughs> this is like 180 degrees out of what they have been taught. Send the multitude away so they can go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for here we are in a deserted place. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. He's underlining the lesson they should have learned from their short-term missions trip. You give them something to eat. They said, we've got, what, five loaves, maybe two fishes? That's all we've got. And Jesus said, okay, make the men sit down. He put them in groups of 50. This is to make it easier to count, easier to do the famine relief, but also easier to count. So there's no doubt there are 5,000 people here. We can see them there in groups of 50. And then he fed them. This is extremely important. We've seen God, Jesus' first call to discipleship, the disruptive call the one that really costs us. And then there's the second call, the call as a representative. Jesus is going to send me out, but he's going to send me out empowered, and he's going to send me with everything I need. I don't have to take care of myself. Jesus is going to take care of me while I'm doing his ministry and his work. They've learned the lessons, I hope, of those first two calls. And then... There's another year. We don't know exactly how many months, but close to a year. Encompassed in Luke chapter 9. Some of the things that... Now, Luke chapter 9 is a long chapter. But nonetheless, it's a condensation. A couple of things that are left out is Jesus' cross-cultural missionary trip. Matthew 15 describes the only time that Jesus took the gospel cross-culturally he went up to Tyre and Sidon on purpose. And he met there a Canaanite woman. And then he refused to help her. This is all for the apostles' learning and training. You can read all about it in Matthew 15, but you can't find it here in Luke chapter 9 because it's been condensed. This took about a year. And at the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus was preparing to send out the second short-term missions trip. This is now the second short-term missions trip. The apostles, the 12 apostles have gotten that second call, that call to be sent ones and representatives. Now about 70, 70 others. I don't know whether that includes the 12 or not, but at least the group has grown from 12 to 70. Again, I hope you don't mind me contextualizing for somebody who's a missions leader. That means the mission team grew 500% in one year. We sent 12 in chapter 9. Less than a year later, we're going to send 70. Do the math. That's about six times, about 500% growth rate. <laughs> and now we're getting ready to send them out. I appreciate how Jesus does it. He does it kind of um, counterculturally. Instead of giving them all the reasons why it would be great to be a missionary, he gives them all the reasons why it's going to be hard and why they should think twice and why they should count the cost. Let's just look at some of those. Carrie has read them for us. We'll read them again, starting in verse 57. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, 
I will follow you, follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is not saying that he never got a chance to sleep in a good bed. He's talking about the fact that he had no fixed address. He has no certain dwelling place. That's how Paul described the life of the missionary. He said, we apostles, this is how we live all the time. We have no fixed address, no certain dwelling place, King James says. We have no uh, normal fixed abode. Many people would think, well, that's very challenging. How do you manage to do that? Well, the truth is, in our lives, we've had great places to live. They just don't belong to us. <laughs> the Lord has not just adequately, but over the top supplied for us. We're staying in a very nice place right now. It doesn't belong to us. We don't have a fixed address. Somebody says, where can I send a package to you? I said, send it to my daughter. I don't have a place to receive it. I don't have a fixed address. Jesus said, now, as you're counting the cost, that's one of them. The second thing is, Jesus said to another one, follow me, verse 59, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, if the funeral was scheduled for that afternoon, this would sound very heartless, but actually what he's saying is, I have an elderly father at home. Maybe he's the oldest. I don't know. He had a specific responsibility to take care of his elderly father. And he said, I just have to take care of that responsibility, but when that responsibility is discharged and my dad's died and I buried him, then I'll be ready. Jesus said, that doesn't wash with me. Friends, I'm speaking to you from experience. My father, 83. Becca's dad, 86. Do we have a responsibility to take care of our elderly parents? You bet we do. And Jesus said, that's something you're leaving behind. You go preach the kingdom of God. This is the second call, and it's challenging. Every call of Jesus is challenging. This is the second call. By the way, if you ask why missionaries attrite, why did they leave the mission field, it generally comes down to something like this. We have competing loyalties. We have things calling us back here in our own country. Legitimate responsibilities that we need to fulfill. That is the main reason why people leave their uh, mission. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said, I think reflecting back on the call of Elisha with Elijah, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Remember, Elijah did not say, okay, go, I'll wait for you here. Elijah was going. And it was up to Elisha to run get the fire going, cook the barbecue, say goodbye, and run to catch up. The kingdom of heaven is not waiting for you to go and say goodbye to everybody you feel you need to say goodbye to. We squeeze it in where we can, and today, 
We happen to be squeezing it in right here at CBC. Praise God for these opportunities. But Jesus says, if it's all about saying goodbye to those at home, that's looking backwards. You can't look back. You're going, you're going, you're gone. This is our... I, I didn't know I was going to be giving this message to a guy who's getting ready to get going tomorrow. We won't see you next Sunday because you'll be gone. No time to go back and say goodbye. Now we're ready for the third call. This is the main point of the message. It's the title of the message. Each of these calls is dislocating and hard and a challenge. And everyone in the room is either hearing Jesus say, you need, you need a rescue, or you're hearing Jesus call with one of these three calls. And none of them is going to be easy for you to respond to and say yes. But here, let's talk about the third call that some people mistakenly believe is an easy one. After these things, the Lord appointed, I'm in chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Oh, we'll come back to that. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, the laborers are few, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's the third call. And then he says the same thing again, verse 4, take no money with you, take nothing with you, take the gospel with you. And, and you'll be cared for on the way. Go with nothing, you will be cared for on the way. Well, what is special about the third call? What's special about the third call is Jesus ministry team has just grown by 500% in one year. And what does he tell them? You guys are not nearly enough. You'll see when you get where I've sent you, there is a vast need for many more laborers. So start praying now. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Wherever you go, Wherever I send you in ministry, you will see the doors opening, the fields white. When you see that, pray for more. Friends, when I was 20 years old, I answered the first call, and it was hard. It was dislocating. It took me from California to North Carolina and launched me on this mission where I've never had a certain dwelling place since that time, the time I was 20 years old. At 26, Rebecca and I answered the second call. We've been at it ever since. The Lord happens to be giving us an assignment in the United States this time. That's his choice. It's not by our family. We're just going where he sends us. The second call is another dislocating call. But the third call, what we sometimes mistakenly believe is the easy call, is the call to pray for more workers. This is the call that's given to disciples who have been sent. They're now out in ministry. And where they are in ministry, they notice the doors are starting to open. Muslims are coming to Christ. The fields are open for more evangelists. We don't have enough people to share this word. 
Why is it so, such a faith challenge to pray for more workers? Well, I was at a table with uh, church leaders and I asked that question, what would you say? Now, if your ministry team was growing by 5% in a year, what would you say about praying for more workers at that point? What would be the faith challenge? Uh, I heard from this group, well, one faith challenge would be, how are we going to train these folks? How do we onboard them? How do we make sure that they've got the clear gospel? If the team's growing so fast, we won't be able to manage quality control of the ministers we're sending out. Very good point. And the second one was the one that occurred to me first. I just admit my carnality there. The second one said, well, I would wonder how are we going to pay for this? <laughs> when the ministry team's rapidly expanding, it's the resources, right? We're wondering, we don't have enough resources for these guys. And that's why it was so important that Jesus sent the 12 on their mission, short-term mission, with nothing. And when he came back, showed them, you saw how I fed the 12 of you? This is how I feed 5,012. Because a growing team is a no intimidation to me. I can feed 12, I can feed 5,012. Pray for more workers. Friends, as a mission leader, I have gotten into a habit. We were convicted today from the Word of God as our Bob, friend Bob Deffenball was sharing. Praying a little prayer. We just want an incremental increase. Oh, how we'd love to see 5% growth. 5% growth! When the Lord Jesus is growing His team at 500% and saying it's not enough. Bob's Bob's word and the conviction that comes from the scripture is our prayers are too small. Our faith needs to grow for this. Mine does. God's put me in a position where I can see fields opening up, need for more workers, and, uh, and a population in my home country that's saying, oh, missions is kind of passe. Oh, you know, we're just going to minister here where we are. That's fine, but the fields... And, no, and we don't have the resources yet to field a much larger team. But the point is, Jesus asks us to pray for the larger team and he will give us the resources. You're at some stage, even if you've been in Christ for, even if, you've, even if you answered that first call when you were 20 and now you're 61 like me, these calls keep coming. And the third call is the one that is stretching my faith today. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to you one of these calls. Or else, or else, you're hearing that last call. And the last call is so encouraging to me. He said, Jesus said in verse 1, he's sending these missionaries into each of the 35 villages, sent them two by two into each of those villages and towns where he himself was about to go. Wouldn't you love that? I'm, a, I'm sending you where I myself am coming. Well, friends, that's the message. If you get nothing else, the message is Jesus is coming. 
Time to get ready. Jesus is coming. It's time to get ready. But how great it is when Jesus is coming into the very field where he has sent you and you've been laboring and now it's white with a harvest and Jesus is about to come. Jesus is going to come there where he has sent you. And, and he gives you the freedom. If you see the opportunity, beg the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. He can't help. If he sends more workers, he can't help but send more resources. And if the Son told us to pray that, and he told us to ask the Father that, is there any possibility? Is there any shadow of possibility? Any shadow of turning? With the Father of lights? Say, uh uh. Say, uh uh. It's, it's impossible. Here's the final call, that last call. Perhaps this last call is coming for you. Perhaps it's calling for, coming for all of us very shortly. And when the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead who are in Christ Jesus will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. So therefore, comfort one another. Comfort one another, brethren, in these words. Anybody ever heard a missionary hymn called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, No Turning Back? You know that one? Can you raise your hand if you know that one? All right. If you don't, you're going to learn something here in just a minute. <laughs> As we close our services, usually we just kind of get up and greet each other and go this time. As we're leaving, we're going to be singing together an acceptance of whatever that call is that Jesus is making to you. You're hearing one of these three calls. Perhaps... You're hearing that call to put your faith in Christ Jesus and to receive His rescue that He promises. And you're going to hear everybody around you testifying that they're ready. That they're ready to follow Jesus. And you can just join with that. That's how we're going to end this service today. And uh, once we get going, I'm going to turn this microphone off so you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> I have decided... To follow Jesus, I have decided.